If you'd like to, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to read just uh, verse 11 there, and then I'm going to uh, move to 2 Timothy for a little bit of today's. So I'm not sure if we'll get this whole thing done this week or if it's going to be finished next week. We'll see. I'm just going to try to uh, walk at a good pace this time um, because sometimes I feel like... Uh, I, here's how it feels sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I ha, I, I've prepared a really large meal and I really want everybody to eat it all. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to start shoveling it in your mouth. And so you just you know, chew as you can. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm going to try now to slow down to say, okay, let's take some bites and, and maybe uh, eat through it. So if we don't finish today, that's fine. And we'll just continue this. Um, but Ephesians 4. So today we're going to uh, finish up. This is the last section of our series, What is the Church? And so this, uh, this one's going to be, What's a Pastor Teacher? Right? And we find that phrase in Ephesians 4.11. And it starts with, and he gave. So the first question we have to ask is, who is he? He is Jesus. Those called to lead the church are gifts from Christ. And sorry, there's no returns. You're stuck with some of us. <laughs> it says that he gave them. That means to assign a person to a task as a particular benefit to others. One of the things I, I do, my oldest son, I've given him the mic <laughs> powers to work in media because Jude is really good at this stuff. So that's a gift. Now, were I to be there, it wouldn't be so much a gift. But Jude, yes, he's a great gift of this. I give uh, Sully um, over to the, the, <laughs> the Adams family because he is a gift to their sons. Their sons like to ride him like a pony, and it's awesome. And Sully loves doing so. <laughs> and so it's a gift. Jesus gives leaders to the church to benefit them and to fulfill their callings. So uh, reading this again, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay, this is the progression of leadership in the New Testament church. So first, God gives the, the apostles, right? The apostles are the 12 minus Judas that walked with Jesus through his earthly ministry, right? They walked with him through three years. Jesus died at 33 when he was um, gone. These apostles are the ones that take up the role of leadership inside of the church. They are, are young and that most of them are what we would call just good old boys, right? They are fishermen. They are rednecks. They are whatever. And they were not equipped for this, but the Holy Spirit equipped them, right? That's the beautiful part of this. And so he gave these apostles and they walked the church through speaking the word of God, writing a lot of them are the authors of the New Testament. Then these prophets come along. These are not people gifted with prophecy. These are prophets, the ones that are speaking the word of God. So these are ones that are actually where we get the word from. And they're writing the word of God. They're writing the New Testament. They're giving this as the Holy Spirit inspires this. Then come evangelists, right? Because after that, what you need more than anything is, all right, we've, we've got the word written. We've got the leadership structure in place. Now we need people to hear this message. So these evangelists came in to spread the message of the gospel all over the world. And we need evangelists today, right? There's still a great need for this. And we need to pray that God would send evangelists to Clinging Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. We need to pray that some people in this room would be gifted with the gift of evangelism in a way that they would say, I have got to speak to my coworkers, to my friends, to my families, to my neighbors, because they need the gospel. And then he brought the pastor teachers. So these are part of the elders, the final group that God has called to lead the church that we've, as we've been studying. So this is a group inside of elders, the, um, but that's also distinct, the pastor teacher. 
So that word, it, it, Greek's very difficult to, to put punctuation. And here's one reason why there are no commas or periods or uh, punctuation inside of Koine Greek. Okay. So where you see a comma, when you're reading inside of an English translation of the Bible, that's put there because it's the best way we can translate how to divide it up. And there are scholars that are infinitely more intelligent than I am that are sitting down and reading this and saying, this makes the best sense for how this is to be interpreted. Right. But it does make it difficult. Pastor teacher is a, a, a phrase that has no, um, it's actually a word that's bound together whenever it's read, read in Greek. So this is a shepherd that teaches. All pastors, as we think of them today, are elders, but not all elders will be pastors as we think of them today. Now, what's hard is these words are used interchangeably in the New Testament, so it's tough to, to read, but here's what we see here is that some elders are called to earn their living through the gospel and spend intentional time studying it and, pre- and preparing, to teach, uh, preparing to teach it to the church. This does not give them higher authority in the group of elders. It's just a particular role based on God's calling and gifting. So Kenneth and I would both find ourselves in this category of being pastor teachers. The songs and the messages are all ministries of the word. The good thing, one thing that's about Kenneth that's incredible is he's also an extremely gifted preacher. So with Kenneth, you get somebody that not only can lead in the ministry of the word through song, he can then step up here and preach an incredible sermon. And I'm kind of jealous because I am not a singer. <laughs> so it's not interchangeable on my end. Um, so I don't get to bring you, you would not like me bringing you the message um, of the word through song. It would be terrible. So these are the gifts that God gives. All right, so now if you want to, we're going to finish our time up in 2 Timothy. First, we're going to start in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Read the first couple of verses. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will, who will be able to teach others also. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. It's his second letter to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor teacher at Ephesus who has already been called to appoint elders there. And he's supposed to continue to do this. So he says, be strengthened by grace in Christ. If I search for strength anywhere else, I will fail. Does that make sense? Abilities out of my own, whatever, it will run dry at some point. If I try to survive on the strength, because I'm a weak person, if I try to survive on the strength of others building me up, guess what will happen? It will eventually not be enough because people are fickle, aren't they? Has anybody ever been frustrated at somebody and then happy with them the next moment? Anybody ever been grumpy because you're hungry? Because it's the same thing, right? That kicked in late. <laughs> Popularity is fleeting, right? If I find my strength in how popular I am, then all it takes is one difficult message and that can all be gone. But Christ is steadfast. So pastors, teachers must say, I'm going to find my strength in only Christ. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is, uh, that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. 
This is the pastor teacher, Timothy, being called to find others to do the work of ministry with him. Exactly what we've been studying about with elders in the church. No human, no man is fully gifted. Does that make sense? There is no such thing as one man who has every gift and can just take care of everything. Do we expect that of some people? Yes, we do. And it's unfair because God does not work that way. He gifts people differently. No man has complete perspective and no man is above any temptation. So there must be more than one man so that you can have multiple gifts being represented in the leadership. So you can have multiple areas of perspective, right? So you can see things and blind spots can be uh, uh, eliminated and also so that accountability can be put in place. So you put, you entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach. If I lead Ridge to be totally dependent upon me or upon only me and Kenneth for all of her needs, she will struggle and possibly fail if God calls us away. Does that make sense? If everything is dependent on Colin being here and doing everything, Kenneth being here and doing everything, what if he and I, I'm, I'm just gonna, most churches fail, right? They struggle or at least struggle deeply. If the leadership of the church is shared amongst qualified elders who are constantly discipling and preparing other men to be elders as well, then my death would not even harm the church. I'm not saying you shouldn't mourn for months at a time because you should. (laughs) But the church would continue as is because there would be other qualified men sharing in leadership. I say death because uh, the search team when we got together made me sign a lifelong contract. Um, And so it's until death do us part was part of what we we said there. So um, if if I'm murdered, look at the search team. And he tells Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So pastor teachers will suffer because they're repeating the words of Christ. Was Jesus hated for the words he said? Very much so. Now, again, he had fickle crowds because there's moments that there are thousands couldn't wait for him to be there. And in fact, right before his death, what happened? The triumphal entry, right? Where the masses got together and put palm branches down and their coats down and said, we want to make you king. And they didn't get the kingship of Jesus. They wanted our earthly king that was going to make Israel great. We want this guy to make me look good. And when he said, that's not what I'm doing, then suddenly they wanted him crucified. The very people laying palm branches down were the ones shouting, give us Barabbas. So yes, pastor teachers are going to share in the suffering of Christ because Christ's words are hated. It says that uh, a good soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Soldiers aren't enlisted to, to fix squeaky wheels. They're enlisted to defend their people. Um, Frustrations or or complaints of others. That one person might be happy for a little bit, but it's going to be at the expense of the rest of the church. Does that make sense? If a soldier is told, hey, stand here and keep going for sure. What about the town when they're invaded because the post is, is unmanned? Not so good. 
So a good soldier focuses on his task to please the one who enlisted him. A pastor must have one ultimate pursuit, pleasing God. Is this always popular? No, I promise it's not. Will everyone always agree on do, uh, that we should do what pleases God at all costs? No, but is it always right to choose to please God over everyone else? Yes. He moves on to another analogy. An athlete is not cruel what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what happens if I'm going out and running a race and let's say it goes in a big loop and I go halfway and then just cut across and then run, uh, or maybe I, let's just say I get a ride. So I, I'm going out here and I call Colton Morton up. I'm like, hey, you have a truck. I got hide in the back of that, right? So meet me at mile one and then drive me another like few miles forward and let me out again and I'm gonna finish the race. Could I finish first? It'd be a stretch still, I think, <laughs> for me. But I might could. Even if I finish first, does that mean I won? No, because I cheated I may finish first, but I don't win. Pastors do not get to make their own rules for preaching, for leading, or for the design for the church. God does. Ignoring these rules will disqualify the pastor teacher from the very thing that he thinks he's supposed to do. Has anyone else noticed that those who do the least complain the most. Anybody ever notice that? He talks about the farmer. He says the lazy farmer doesn't deserve the first parts of the crop. A lazy farmer who spends little time preparing, planting and watering the field doesn't deserve the harvest of the farmer who devotes himself to these things. Nor does the farmer who spends lots of time doing other things. The farmer who spends all his time saying, hey, you know what, my fence could look a little better if I did this, instead of focusing on planting, watering, and tending the crops. The role of a pastor teacher is to feed the flock. It's to, Paul said in Corinthians, right? Water and plant seeds. That's the job. I have time, I'm gonna continue a little bit. Turn to chapter four of 2 Timothy. Starting in verse one, he writes, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is judge, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. All right, so the word charge means to admonish or instruct with regard to some future happening or action with the implication of personal knowledge or experience. So Paul is not speaking from inexperience. He's saying, I'm charging you something that I've done that I've experienced. I'm charging you to do this. I'm commanding you to do some things in the presence of God and Christ. Paul doesn't manipulate Timothy into speaking boldly against sin and the gospel of man to gain Paul's favor. He bases his argument on God's presence in everything that Timothy does. The creator, sustainer, and judge of the world is present with Timothy during his pastorate. Who should he aim to please? Then he says something beautiful. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. The word preach means to proclaim officially. It's uh, the message brought from a king. So a king had a herald and he'd say, hey, herald, you go travel to the towns because I'm not going to do that and tell them this message. 
The herald doesn't have a chance to just say, well, I'm going to manipulate the message a little bit because this sounds a little tough. I'm going to soften it some. No, 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 no. A herald spoke the words exactly as the king wrote them. This is the primary duty of a pastor teacher to preach the word as it is written and to expect change from it. It says, be ready in season and out of season. A lot of people have said that this means to always have a sermon in your back pocket. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Have one in your back pocket. You better be ready. If somebody, if, if something happens, you better have something you can pull out. Now, I think that's a good idea for anybody who's gifted to preach. I think you should have something ready because there could be a moment that you're needed at any time and it's tough to prepare. It takes hours and hours of preparation to be ready for this. And so if you have something ready, that is very good. But I think this means something different primarily. I don't read this as the primary meaning to have something in your back pocket. I think being ready to preach in season and out of season means this. There are seasons and passages of the word that you will gladly receive and love. Anybody have favorite passages? Oh man, the encouraging ones, the ones like, oh, God's got me, right? We hear those in certain times of our life and we're like, yes, thank you for teaching me that. But there are also seasons and passages of the word that you will hate. I must be willing to walk through both of those seasons because the shield of man's favor is made out of cardboard, right? If I'm hiding behind how much I'm liked, that is cardboard and it's not gonna stand up to anything at all. But God's word is indestructible. So whether it's the season you want to hear it or not, whether it's a passage you enjoy or not, I have to stand behind the power of the word of God and say, it doesn't matter how you receive it. It matters if it's true. And he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The word reprove means to state that someone has done wrong with the implication that there is adequate proof of such wrongdoing. All right, so this is a list of commands. A pastor teacher must tell his flock when they have done something wrong. This should never be something he delights in. So there's some people that I think really like giving bad news. Anybody know somebody like that? They love telling you when something's off. They love being the one to tell you that like, oh, you've gained some weight. Isn't that fun? Those are great people. But it's also not love to be silent on issues of sin. Does that make sense? It is not love to see, to, to see somebody living in sin and say, ah, hopefully they figure it out. And pastor teachers are commanded to address it. He says, not only are they to reprove, they're also to rebuke. This is a little stronger word. It means to express strong disapproval of a person. While reproving will, happening for mo- uh, will happen for most, rebuking is stronger. This is when a person has taken on the identity of their sin and are a blemish on the character of the church. So by the way they are acting, they're a blemish on the church to the whole community and they could make people not, uh, not desire to be a part of Christ church here at Clinging Ridge because of the way they're acting. Or they're causing division among the church by their words where Christ has commanded unity. This is when someone's actions, words, or very presence is more harmful to the church than it is good. And Paul says, pastor teachers, you rebuke that person and tell them your very presence and the way that you're acting is causing harm to others. 
He also says to exhort. That means to urge, to implore, to plea, or to encourage. All pastor teachers must plea with the church to pursue God, to grow as disciples, and submit to his designs. Even if the church is already doing it, he must encourage and celebrate God's work in them. And he says you do this with complete patience. Okay, so this means a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. So no matter how things are brought to you, you keep your, your face, your face doesn't show anything and you stay calm and you're not irritated or angry. Anybody in here, does your face tell on you? Is your face louder than your words sometimes? Amen. Anybody in here get irritated with people? Anybody complain? Okay. I struggle here. But a good pastor, so not me, but a good one, will stand on the word and accept all criticism against it. Because people aren't attacking him. They're attacking God and his word. The wise pastor will remember this and will calmly continue to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in the face of all criticism. Because if I am speaking the word and that makes you angry, you and I have zero fight. Your fight is with God's word. It says with all, with complete patience and teaching. That means to provide instruction in a formal or informal setting. There's a lot of people that contrast and will say, well, there's preaching and there's teaching. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. I want to make sure we dispel something really quickly. There is no preaching that does not contain teaching. That's a motivational speech or emotional manipulation. My opinions, preferences, or thoughts are at best temporarily helpful. Teaching God's word as it is written will impact eternally. So then he goes on to give this warning. We'll wrap up with this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. This means uh, to endure means that you continue to accept something as valid or true. Many in the church couldn't care less what the Bible says so long as they get what they want. Do you know that that's the, the majority position? I don't care what you teach as long as I get what I want. Is that the heart that Christ wants for you? God's word challenges everything that the world, our flesh, and Satan tells us are going to satisfy. But we cannot denigrate it below our preferences, our culture, or traditions. It is valid even when it destroys all of those things. It is true even when everyone else claims it's wrong. So there's coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching. That means to be correct in one's views and teaching. Teaching the word plainly is uncomfortable and offensive. Anybody ever been offended by the Bible? I'm offended by it all the time. It doesn't tell me I'm great. Many true believers struggle with it immensely and lost people hate it. So there comes a time, and that time has come, when people aren't going to endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
itching ears. This is when someone really wants to hear something. I want to hear you say that I am who I'm supposed to be, that I'm great. And it's all those other people that are bad. So because I want to hear that, I don't care what the word says anymore. I'm going to go find for myself, accumulate teachers to tell me what I want to hear. Paul is warning that the church will not always enjoy the word. It convicts, it challenges, and it changes things. So they will try to use numbers and majority rule to get people in leadership that will tell them what they want to hear, regardless of what the word says. Anybody ever seen somebody try to stack the deck to get their own way? Anybody think the church could also struggle with that? Paul says it will. So accumulate these teachers that are going to suit their own passions. Passions is the word that means to strongly desire to have what belongs to someone else and or to engage in an activity which is morally wrong. So these passions that they're trying to have suited are not amoral. They're selfish, fleshly, worldly, and wrong. Passions to redesign the church in our own image. Passions to ignore God's law to fit with culture. Passions to create our own laws where God has not, pretending that we know better than he does. So that makes me question this. What is your greatest desire for Klingon Ridge? That it is following God's design or yours? So these people that are, have these itching ears, they want to hear what they want to hear and they accumulate the teachers that tell them what they want to hear to suit their own passions, they'll turn away from the faith. Because there is only one absolute authoritative truth in the church, and that is God's word. And that must be our only authority. It says they'll wander off into myths. If God's word is not the first and final authority on what we believe in the church, then we can believe any lie that is told. If God's word is not the first and final authority, then preferences and opinions rule. Wrapping up, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, and fulfill your ministry. He's saying you can't let your emotions drive you because you will fail your church because they're going to hurt you. He says endure suffering because Christ suffered and so will a pastor teacher. He says do the work of evangelists because pastors must constantly present the gospel to lost people who are in his congregation and also those who are not. And that's how you fulfill your ministry, by doing all of these things. Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to wrap up with a few questions just for us to deal with. My first question is this. As we see what a pastor teacher is inside of the church, inside of the system that the New Testament sets up, inside of God's design for the church, will you pray for Kenneth and I as we walk through this calling and this role at Klingon Ridge? Will you pray for all of the future pastor teachers that God will call out of our church as they grow in his word? Will you pray for the pastor teachers that God's going to bring into Klingon Ridge from other, other places? Will you submit to God's word and his design for the church even when it's uncomfortable? Will you pray for God to eliminate the itch in your ears to hear only what you want to hear? 
Will you pray for God to convict you when you're only looking for people who will tell you what you want to hear? Lastly, will you submit to the Spirit's convicting call that you need salvation? It doesn't matter how persuasive I am or how great my words are or how terrible they are. It is the Holy Spirit who convinces you that you need salvation. If there is anyone in here who doesn't have Jesus Christ as the king in their life, I beg you to walk forward this morning, to stand where you are, to ask your neighbor, to find someone around you and say, what does it mean for Jesus to be the king of my life? And then I beg that you would surrender to him in that that he could be your savior and your king, changing everything about who you are to be who he has called you to be. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you just guide us, continue to help us to mold, to be what you've called us to be. Lord, your word is challenging, not just because it convicts where I know I'm doing wrong and not just because it doesn't always say what I want it to say, but God, your word changes things and change is hard. But God, I pray that we would submit ourselves to your word. And that no matter what, we would say it is our authority, regardless of what anyone else wants, what anyone else thinks, or what anyone else fights for. Your word is the authority above all. And help us to be a church that fights for that. We fight for sound faith and good doctrine. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that does need you as their savior, that your spirit would be so loud and so strong in in his convicting power in their life that they could not possibly ignore him any longer. And Jesus, I pray that they would submit to you in salvation. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand, respond however God leads you.